if you're going to go down this publishing content route and you're going to start a newsletter, you're going to start making videos, what's the number one metric that leads to business? Is it clicks? Is it views? I'll tell you what it is. It's minutes consumed. Simple as that. Welcome closers. Today we have another episode of the Profitable Property Management Podcast coming at you. This is season two on sales. I'm your host, Jordan Moyla, and every week I interview world-class property management entrepreneurs and industry experts who share actual insights to help you grow your property management empire. So whether you manage a hundred or a thousand units, this broadcast is designed to help you see the big picture and give you the tools and tactics that you need to get to the next level. I don't throw darts at a board. I bet on sure things. Sweet Sun Tzu, the art of war. Every battle is won before it's ever fought. Think about it. Today, I am interviewing Frank Klesitz, the CEO of Viral Marketing. This is a company focused on helping professionals and small business owners increase referrals and sales using their existing, keyword existing customer database. Frank and his team know that your customer list is losing roughly 10% of its value every month if you neglect it. Just natural decay, natural atrophy if you do nothing. Their video marketing strategy can turn those numbers around and help you get more juice out of what you already have instead of throwing marketing dollars at new leads. Today, we're going to be talking all about database marketing, which is really content marketing pointed at a specific list of the contacts that you already have. Welcome to the show, Frank. Hey, thanks, man. Thanks, Jordan. Give me the 411, man. Just just back up. How did you end up starting viral marketing? What led you into that? Well, out of college, I, was, um, I really liked the idea of being an entrepreneur, doing my own thing, and I was uh, recruited to be a real estate agent. So I uh, decided to pursue that and see what was available there. And there was a training, and this is back in 2007, when this is before Zillow and all these online lead generation services, trying to sell you leads online, a gazillion shiny objects. And basically, they taught something very simple. You pick an area, you pick a market, you reach out to those people, you introduce yourself, you say, I'm here to help solve a problem, and you have it. You have some plan to stay in touch with them, to position yourself as the expert, and to maintain top of mind awareness. And then one, you hope they call you, or two, you prioritize follow-up uh, to see if you can you know, call them. So I was like, that made sense. I was going to pick a target neighborhood. I go knock on doors, make calls, you know, go to charity events in the area, maybe hold open houses. I understood prospecting. It's not the funnest thing. But you got to go meet strangers somehow when you're starting off. But then I was like, what am I going to send these people to stay in touch? Now remember, I'm like maybe 22 years old at this time, and I want to go into like a pretty established neighborhood to earn some money. And basically what they said was a bunch of like junk mail or junk postcards or <laughs> these, you know, these canned newsletters that right. some, set it and for, some set it and forget solution where you send out this like watered down, you know, crappy content out to these people. And I'm like, come on, like this is, this is junk. Like this is what people send. Like the idea that you just take something and slap your photo on it and that counts. I'm like, this is not going to get me a listing, especially in the market I want to go into. Like I'm from Omaha, Nebraska. And if you think of Omaha, Nebraska, uh, I wanted to go in an area where there's lots of Warren Buffett money, a lot of very affluent in that area. 
So I, I had an idea, and the idea was pretty simple. Uh, do you remember the flip camera, Jordan, back in the day? The I camera? sure do. I, I do. Yeah, they don't make them anymore because the, the mobile phones put them out of business. But uh, I got a flip camera, and I was like, hey, I could put myself on camera. I can answer some commonly asked questions about how to improve your home, uh, buying and selling tips, maybe interview a mortgage person, interview people in the community. I could start publishing basically uh, an area newsletter, more or less, you know, and just take those videos, put them online. I could email them out. I could put them on social media. And all I'd have to do is just go talk to people, knock on their doors, call them up, just say, hey, you know, I'm a local real estate agent, but I publish this area newsletter. It's going to have all these tips and insights, interviews, all this cool stuff. I'd love to see if you'd be interested in subscribing. What's your best email address? Oh, sure. It's, this is my email address. Great. If you ever need help selling your home, let me know. But look forward to sending my newsletter and move on. And so I would, my goal was to go out and build this big subscriber base and to get all these people subscribed to my stuff. And then let you use the leverage of media, use the leverage of content to get people to know who I was and to spend time with me. And then hopefully two things would happen. Like I said before, they would call me or I could, what's actually kind of cool is you can track who's actually watching and engaging your stuff. And I could prioritize my phone call, follow up with the people who knew, I, knew who I was. And that idea, I basically started implementing that for myself. And then very long story short, I realized, you know, this is a problem a lot of people have, you know, like... How do I get business? How do I position myself as the expert? How do I prospect where I'm not a pest, but I'm a guest? And really the answer was, was leading with content, leading with a newsletter, leading with a, with a value, show, leading with a podcast. Yeah, value, right? Like leading with some type of information-based offer where I publish stuff that's interesting, specifically for you that answers questions and solves problems. Get them as a subscriber. They spend time with you. They get to know what you stand for, your message. You know, they get to know you basically, you know, and, um, like I said, you can call them. They know who you are. You know, invite them to an event or talk to them or they'll call you. And that was my strategy. So what I realized, I was like, wait a minute. Before I go out and start building this database, like knocking on doors and calling, hold on. I have a lot of people I know on Facebook at the time. I have a lot of people I have in LinkedIn connections. I have a lot of people that I know. I was actually a personal fitness trainer before that. I have a lot of personal training clients. I should export all those emails out of my Gmail, out of my Outlook, out of my LinkedIn. You know, I, let me get all the emails, all the contact information of everyone I've ever met my entire life. And let me just send them all an email, inviting them to subscribe. And the email will go like this. Hey, friends, family, client, you know, clients. It's Frank Klesitz, graduate of college. The reason I'm writing you is I'm going into real estate. I'm publishing this newsletter. I'd love for you to get it. If you don't want it, you can click here to opt out. I don't want to spam you. If you ever have any need about buying or selling a home or you ever have any need about this, I'm here. Love to stay in touch. Frank. Right? Simple. So I was like, man, it, I was like, man, if I could, there's like four steps to this plan. This is what we do at Viral Marketing. And I realized like people need help executing this. I was like, man, if I could just reconnect with my existing list and round up all those people, all my customers, all my prospects, all my unconverted leads, all my centers of influence. If I could round those all up, deduplicate them, and get them this nice little helpful reconnect message, that's awesome. If I could have a, a targeted prospecting strategy where it's like, look, let's get a list of our ideal client and let's start reaching out to them. Let's start going directly for the the the, the game we want. You know, the you know, what exactly are we hunting here? Let's figure out what that is, let's go after it. But instead of just you know, showing up as a pest saying, Do you want to give me money? That's a little forward, right? 
you show up saying, hey, I want to offer you a subscription to my, my newsletter or my podcast, my blog or whatever. Then I would start publishing educational content so people get to know me. I'd recommend maybe two educational videos a month is a great place to start, two quick Q&A videos. And the fourth step is hopefully they call you or I can actually track who's watching this content and I can prioritize follow-up with a phone call like, hey, it's Frank. I see you subscribe. Just want to call people that are on my list and see if you have any questions I can answer for you now on the phone or maybe in the show. And I was like, man, that's a great system. I like that plan. I can do that. <laughs> Four steps. And um, basically that's, yeah, four steps. So let's go to the four steps again. Reconnect with your existing neglected database. Have a plan to build your database of your target market, but invite them for it with a newsletter subscription as opposed to saying, do you want to hire me? So you're less of a pest and you become a guest. Number three is start publishing two educational Q&A type videos a month. And they could be articles, they could be podcasts. I don't really care what media you use, but start publishing two pieces of content a month that solve people's problems. And then number four is, you know, hey, if I could track who's watching this stuff, and if I could track what they're doing online, why not prioritize follow-up just to kind of, you know, go swim out to my ship, you know, as opposed to waiting for it to come in with like a passive email call. And that plan I wrote, it's, it's the marketing plan on the front of our website. I was like, hey, I think this plan makes a lot of sense. And apparently a lot of people thought that too. <laughs> could work, could work for other people. Exactly. So at Viral Marketing, you know, we have about 65 employees now. We interview hundreds of people every single month to create these educational videos. And we edit them, optimize them, publish them out. And we basically take a professional that doesn't really have essentially a newsletter, which could be a video blog or a podcast, but some type of publication, let's say. And we help create that for them. And instead of just, you know, someone else writing your content or someone else crafting the stuff, no, man, you got to get on video and we're going to coach you to create that content. So it's from you because the whole point of this is not this amazing content you share because honestly, it's all available online. Like you're really not saying much that people can't get someplace else. Like, let's just be real. The reality is you're saying it and they're spending time with you and they're getting to know, like, and trust you. That's the whole goal. How can we get people at scale to spend time with you to know, like, and trust you online so that's the first step of the sales process. So they move forward to you, Drew. And that's the idea. And that's how Viral Marketing was born. And I started a company to do that for people. All right, guys. Let's let's break this down. Let's back up. The question I asked Frank was, how did you get started with Viral Marketing? For those of you listening at home, let's think about the fact that Frank could have skipped about five minutes of that. He could have just given me the bullet points as quickly as possible to kind of gloss over and get to the point about what viral marketing does. But there was a story, and this clearly is not the first time that he has given that story, an interesting story arc that's practical, relatable, and kind of leads into the me section of what the company actually does. It's something we should all be thinking about. Is there a story behind what you do? Is there a relatable, interesting story? Frank, I appreciate you kind of mapping it out that way. One of the things that we talk about on the show is the 10x rule, the concept of delivering 10 times the value that you expect to receive before you ask for the sale. Talk to me about the psychology of inverting that rule, where, where people want to put out the low value add crappy content on an automated basis. And they've, they come to you expecting that your system is basically going to be an inexpensive way to, to get you to somehow spam their list. Walk me through that psychology, where that comes from. No, that's great, man. You know, you have a, 
a, a generation, I would say it's older than mine, I'm, I'm 32, that you know grew up into business before the explosion of media and social media and all this other stuff. And yeah, you can get away with sending one of someone to, you know, some low level fluff content, like a recipe card or something someone else made that you throw your photo on it and you get business from it and it works. And and to some extent it's it still does. I'm not gonna say that it's not. But here's the deal. Attention's getting really expensive. There's so many people competing for someone's attention. You know, you send someone an email or you make a Facebook post that just kinda like slightly interrupts or annoys someone. I mean, you're one click away from being banned from all their screens. Like you'll never show up ever again on a computer screen, thing, like in one click. So I think the, I think the idea is, is that you have to create content so good that people will be willing to pay for it. And the people that apply that standard of their content, like you're doing with your podcast or like I do with my show or anything that we teach a client at viral is you want to try to create something so good that someone would actually be willing to pay for it because that, and that in return they pay for it with their attention and spending time with you. That's what advertising is. You're buying attention. The other day I heard Gary Vee with a, the quote describing himself as a uh, as an attention arbitrage entrepreneur. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So when I sold my fitness training, I was learning sales from the, the very beginning when I was younger. I was like, man, the, the offer, this is what was very interesting to me the offer of like what you actually do was not really that big of a deal. Like a lot of people hired me for fitness training and even still today, a lot of people hire viral marketing and they don't even understand really what we do. They just spent so much time with me that they're like, I want to work with this person. I like how they think. I like who they are. I like what they're about. Like I like this guy and I don't really quite understand exactly what they do or how it works. But I'm going to hire this person. And when you switch, that's your prospect. You get the profit premium. People will pay a premium for a feeling. Like they're going to pay a, they're going to pay a premium to work for you because it's like working with you. They, they feel safer. They feel protected. They feel like they know they can get some consulting advice. Like that's where the profit margin is. If you're competing just on your core deliverable, someone's going to come along and squeeze that profit margin out. When people hire you because they've spent time with you and they know they can trust you, you get that profit premium. The number one metric, I would say, if you're going to go down this publishing content route and you're going to start a newsletter, you're going to start making videos, what's the number one metric that leads to business? Is it clicks? Is it views? I'll tell you what it is. It's minutes consumed. Simple as that. Minutes consumed. I'm telling you, man, someone that listens to your podcast, every one all the way through, if you had one person do that, it's a great, that's an amazing person that has a high affinity view. You'd rather have that one person listen to everything than a thousand people that listen to the first 30 seconds and they're done. The views are a lot higher. The listens are a lot higher on the latter, but the real business results come from the former. So I think to answer your question, if you need the attention of people to spend time with you, you have to give them something so good they're willing to pay for it and they pay for it with their attention. And what you learn is that the more time people spend with you, and this could be in person, or it could be through video, it could be through a podcast at scale, through writing. Certainly. I mean, there's mentors in my life like Jay Abraham, Dan Kennedy. I mean, I've, I've read all these guys' books and listened to thousands, probably hundreds of thousands of hours. It's like I know them as like personal mentors, but I never met them personally. Does that make sense? Isn't that crazy? Mm-hmm. And that's what I think people need to realize to position themselves better and they'll get better quality clients from it. It's just a jump.
Yeah, it's kind of mind-blowing when somebody will walk up to me at an event or a trade show and say, hey, I've listened to all your podcasts, and I actually process like how many hours that means they've actually heard my voice. It has just a completely different dynamic in terms of the interaction, and it means that you're no longer in a comparative category, meaning when that person is thinking about working with you, they're only thinking about working with you. They're not wanting to, they're not wanting to shop. They're not wanting to grind you. It's just such a more pleasant experience. But Frank, let's be honest, this is a long game strategy. At least in my book, it's a long game strategy for a couple of reasons. Number one, you're going to suck at the outset. Number two, it takes time for people to actually get to the point of having a purchasing need. Even if they like you, they may not be ready to buy just because of the natural ongoing to their business for, for months, years, whatever it may be. What is the expectation that you set on when this is actually going to pay off? That is a great question. This is just something you need to do for the rest of your life and accept it and get over the, what are the stages of, uh, the, so you have shock. <laughs> oh my gosh, you need to do this. Then you have denial. No, right. I don't have to do this. Then you get right. angry. I have to do this. You bargain. How do I not have to? <laughs> right, right, right. You know, if you want to position yourself as a professional, professionals speak, professionals give seminars. Professionals write papers. Professionals do these things. Um, and chances are, you know, you're in a service business. I mean, property manager, it's a service business. They want to see you as a protector or someone that can protect them. They want to see how you think. But they can, you know what? I like this guy's values. I like how they think. I can let them make decisions on my behalf and they're make the right one because I consume their content. I know, I, know, I know how they go about solving things. So, yes, it's something you have to do forever. So, I've committed to my show. You commit to, to staying in touch with your database you know, why would you ever stop? So you have to make that long-term commitment. Now, when it comes to results, this is what's very interesting. Remember how I said earlier that the v- number one step, the very first step to starting a, um, let's just call it a newsletter, but that could be applied through various media like a blog or a podcast, is you want to reconnect with your existing database. Now, here's the thing. When I take a client, let's say a CPA, that says, you know what? I really don't like using Groupon. That's not really getting me good customers. Or I really don't like all these customers that are coming in for these low, I'm competing on price. Like, okay, let's fix that. Let's start this, uh, how to save money on taxes, how to, you know, this whole newsletter on like financial advice, you know, and better accounting and making better decisions in your business type of newsletter. But let's literally take all your LinkedIn connections, all your Facebook friends, let's take everyone in your CRM, let's take everyone in your Outlook, let's take everyone in your Gmail, let's export everybody, every single person, and let's deduplicate them. What I might do is run them through like an email scrubbing service like neverbounce.com that will get rid of all the bad emails so that there's a 97% guaranteed deliverability rate in that list. And this isn't spamming, okay? Let's be very clear. If this is a one-time re-engagement email, it's technically called, they call it a permission pass. You can Google permission pass means. But you're just writing a personal email, arguably to people you know. Like, it's a pretty wide definition of it. But like, all these people have some existing relationship to you. You didn't buy some cold spam list. And all you're doing is you're writing a subject line that says, you know, a, a quick reconnect. You say, hey, if you're getting this, we're connected on social media. You're a client. You're a friend. We've done business together. I just want you to know that I'm really committed to helping people save money on their taxes and do this or whatever, the other thing. I'm starting this newsletter. I invite you to subscribe. You can opt out here. So you just let them leave them all on it. Just say opt out if you don't want it. But I'm also here to help you. So like, by the way, like if you have these questions, let me know. I can answer them. You know, reply back to this email. Or like if you literally need help with this problem, call me. I will meet with you and help you, you know, Frank. (laughs) 
So yeah, this email goes out, dude, a lot of people respond back saying, yeah, I want to hire you and pay you. And you're like, and it spikes the interest right there. That gets immediate results. Now, again, the other results might take time. You don't, you know, people are going to watch your show. It's going to take reach. But I think one of the biggest issues I want to touch on this really quick, Jordan, is the issue with getting results is that you're probably spending some money to execute this. You're spending, you have to hire somebody. So this costs money. You have to, you know, there's a cost to execute this, right? It's like, how long does it take before I get a sale to recoup or make a profit on the marginal marketing cost of executing the strategy we're talking about today? That's unknown. That's the business risk you have to take. And therefore, you get the profit and the reward. However, to lower that business risk beyond the first reconnect email is when you decide to start publishing, you become a publisher. And how do publishers make money? Well, they get sponsors. They get advertisers. You know, if you're building a database of people, in your case, that have rental property, investors, let's say, that you're doing property management for, let's so say that you do property management for investors, or you do property management, you know, obviously for homeowners. How many people out there would love to get in front of homeowners? How many real estate agents will want to get in front of homeowners that may want to sell their rental property? How many people want to get in front of investors to give them mortgages? Think of all the people that want to get in front of your audience that you're building because you're literally running a publication, go sell sponsorships. Whatever your cost is to execute this, go sell one, two, or three advertising spots. So the point here is de-risking. The point is not some incremental revenue up. It's if you need this, and even if you don't need it, de-risk it so that you can fully embrace this opportunity. That makes a ton of sense to me. And you can sit along for the long term and say, okay, now that I got this kind of zero-based or I got a lot of the cost taken care of from sponsors, now I can really focus on creating great stuff and doing this for the long term. Mm, guys, notice what he's doing. So he has a strategy that he's advocating, but there are multiple ways to de-risk it. You mentioned one earlier that I just want to come back to, and that was having a perspective that this is a business discipline. Is this transactional for you? Did you just get your real estate license? Maybe you'll be doing it in six months. Maybe you won't. Or are you committed in the long term? In my industry, Frank, these are folks that have been doing property management decade after decade at recurring revenue, they've got a hundred, a thousand clients, whatever it may be. They're committed for the long haul. And in that regard, they possess a lot of operational expertise that a lot of times they just don't take the time to articulate publicly. It's all in their head. So for me, the ancillary benefit here is the pressure. Put the spotlight on yourself, put the mic in your own hand, and put the pressure on yourself to formulate and articulate yourself with the expertise that you already have, but is not currently accessible and is the reason that you're being commodified. It's the reason that you're complaining about price shoppers. But the answer to solve that is not complaining. It's to reposition yourself in the category. And this kind of crucible, standing in this crucible, developing this skill set is a great way to get to that point. The profit's always in creating a feeling for somebody. So if you take fashion, you take, I, mean, I don't know, gosh, take Rolex, take a hand, uh, yeah, Rolex watch, take a handbag, a woman's handbag. I mean, they're all the same thing, essentially, but plus or minus, yeah, but they're pretty close utilitarian-wise, but what you're buying is you're buying that feeling, that affinity, like, I want to feel that way. Like, people will spend more for a feeling than anything else. If you're competing with all these other property managers and the deliverable is all the same, okay, well, now you got to become, let's use the word fashion, more fashionable. You know, you need to be figured out you need to position yourself in a way where how can people feel and be perceived as being more protected by you 
of protecting their investment. That's how you compete. And this is what this is how you can do that now with what you were saying is like just getting on video or just start writing. You know, that is a difficult jump for people that haven't done that before. Right. So the easiest way to start publishing your own content without to get over that that next step is to get somebody to interview you. This could be an employee that interviews you on the interviews you on the phone and they just tell them the questions to ask you. So it's a conversation like right now. Like like for example, we talked for what, twenty five minutes or so or twenty minutes. If you were to go say go shoot a twenty five minute video, I think the average person would completely lock up. Absolutely. But if it's a conversation, it makes it a lot easier. A conversation about what you know, about what you've been doing year after year after year. You mentioned the feeling earlier. I'm thinking about Jay Abraham's strategy of preeminence. I'm thinking about some of the common emotions we can relate to, buying or selling a home. What are we talking about? We're talking about your family, your domicile, the place where uh, all a lifetime's worth of memories are going to happen. And for most people, their largest financial investment. Those are emotions. With property management, wealth creation through real estate. I want to retire on real estate. I want to de-risk my future. Those are emotions that can be tapped into. And I couldn't agree more. The process of actually tapping into that, though, requires stepping away from the bullet points, stepping away from the brochure of what you do that is common with so many other vendors. As it pertains to to what you do, Frank, what does that evolution look like over time? Are you in a crowded category? Are there a lot of folks doing database marketing? How has your own positioning and branding evolved over time? That's that's very interesting you say that. So I'm just another social media expert. Ah, so oof, rough. Yeah, rough. you like that? My, so, my heart goes out to you, brother. Yeah. So think about that. Think how many social media marketing experts there are. Yikes. Okay. So I was like, okay, so how can I not be positioned as that? <laughs> right? And let's use that same idea of just another property management company. Right? How could I not do that? Well, here's what I did. I came up with a specific problem that needed to be solved. I said, okay, people need a way to stay in touch with their database. There's a problem there. There's a pain. Okay, so I'm going to use social media to solve a pain, which is staying in touch with the database. But I need to have a specific, like, you know, documented approach, plan, a method of how I go about solving that pain. And I wrote a little book about it. And then what I did is I marketed the book to solve people's pains to my target market. And then I happened to sell the implementation of that on the back end. And the way people got to know me, like me, and trust me with a clientele all over the country, where I didn't have to necessarily be on the road all the time, is by publishing content so people can spend time with me online as opposed to spending time with in person. So let's relate this to a property manager maybe what we can do. So I own rental property. I own single family houses. And like my biggest concern is my property management company folds up shop, doesn't tell me, and just like leaves all these houses and the tenants don't get serviced. Like, that's like literally my biggest fear, you know, like I need a property management company that's safe, reliable. And I also want someone that's incredibly proactive. Like there's like a cancer happening in all the houses at all times I'm thinking of. I'm thinking like there's a water dripping, you know, something's happening. I'm looking for an extremely proactive preventative maintenance policy to protect the asset. If you could somehow solve that problem, you're going to attract guys like me that are in it for the long term that have the money to invest in the repairs because I'm looking 15 years out for as a retirement strategy. Those are probably the clients I would want if I was a property manager. So basically, if you could write some type of documented plan of 
we are the most proactive property management company in the marketplace. Oh, I like that. Well, how, well, what do you do? What's what's the approach? What's we'll the proof? Yeah, what's yeah, the well, proof? Yeah, what's, what's, what are you going to do? You know, we do this, we do that. And yeah, we charge a little more, but I'm willing to pay a little more for that. You know, I, I want to catch the problem. Like, you know, how about two or three inspections a year? Make sure the lead-based paint is signed. Make sure we check the carbon monoxide detectors. Make sure that we, uh, you know, the dryer vent. Make sure it doesn't build up a dryer lint for a fire hazard. Make sure, I don't know, gosh, so many things. Right. Any good offer is highly, highly specific. It's not generic. It's not we're number yeah, one. Like I don't. I almost want like a home inspector to be my property manager. <laughs> with all due respect. Yeah. Seriously. You know. So what I would say there, then you go back, you start creating the content that advertises that these are all the things you want. Like these are all the problems that come up with properties, and this is how we prevent them. So your newsletter would be like, well, here's another problem you got to be looking out for. Here's a tenant problem you got to be looking out for. Here's this issue you got to look out for. Here's this issue. Here's this issue. And that's the, that's the whole blog is about those problems. And then you come in with your solution. I have our approach, our property management plan to be the most proactive property management firm in the country. Talk to us about it. And yes, for more money. Or you have two tiers. You have your basic tier and you have your premium tier. I'd buy the premium tier. Before we go on, I want to mention our show sponsor, the PM Growth Summit, which is happening at the end of January in 2018. If you consider yourself a growth-minded property management entrepreneur, if you're interested in leveling up your sales and marketing game, and if you want to go pro and network with other best-in-class entrepreneurs and stay on the bleeding edge of the industry, you need to be at the PM Grow Summit. We truly bring in the best of the best, and you can get your ticket now by going to www.pmgrowsummit.com and using the coupon code JORDAN, that's J-O-R-D-A-N, to get $100 off your ticket. See you there. Frank, I want to pivot to talk a little bit about the dirty C word, and that is churn. Churn is the boogeyman in the closet under the bed. For those of you with recurring revenue businesses, and I'm talking to every single property management company running this business, it's the thing that you cannot escape from. If your churn is high, no matter what level of explosive growth, no matter what lead gen strategy, content marketing, database marketing, doesn't matter. You cannot escape it. The thing that I like about this strategy is that it has an impact on churn, which has a direct correlation to overall client lifetime value. That's another form of de-risking it for me. For those of you listening, you know that you have your existing list of clients. You know that these are people that you want to buy more. You want them to buy more properties. There's a positioning element. There's a, there's a story around wealth creation through real estate. That's the journey that you get to lead them on, but reducing churn has such a profound impact on your business. And if you're like many property management companies where because it's recurring revenue, because you're a small business, you could grow, but you could also not grow and you would still have a great operation. Because of that element where growth is oftentimes aspirational, it's another reason I like this strategy. Are you going to go steady and deeply master and figure out SEO? pay-per-click, Facebook marketing? Probably not. At best, you're going to use another vendor whose quality of goods you cannot necessarily audit in the same way that if a mechanic tells me I need a new transition, I can't really argue with that because I cannot audit the good or service. But what you can do and what you can relate to is the, the frequency and the strength of relationship that you have with your own customers. This is an opportunity to pull a lever that is firmly in your hand. How 
many properties do your current customers own? How long do they stick with you? And how much revenue do they pay you on an individual per client basis? Frank, do you hear where I'm coming from? Dude, yeah, 100%. I mean, so first off, yeah, you're going to always have a churn rate because people want to get out of the business. They need the money for something else. There's, you have to Sell get very off, good. whatever. Yeah. Yeah, you have to get very good, like in your exit interviews, of hopefully trying to get the truth of like why that person left. Is it something you can control or is it something you can't control? So it's good to know, you know? But when it comes down to this, is what I tell everyone all the time at Viral for our churn rate and for everything. People leave because they don't feel protected anymore. That's it. I mean, that really is it. They just feel like you're not protecting their money. You're not protecting their investment. You're not protecting it. And it's a feeling, unfortunately. It's a, it's a feeling, unfortunately. I said, unfortunately, you can underline that. Because if it was logic, you'd be like, hey, I delivered great service. I delivered on these deliverables. I deliver these. Quality work does not mean quality service. You could do great work but still give like a poor service because service work is like very logical. I did it. I executed it. I got the result, but functional, but service is a feeling. So the question is, how do we make sure that the customer always knows that you're always protecting them and being proactive and going that extra mile where they don't have to worry. The trusted advisor. Yeah, the trusted advisor protection. And, and the, way, the only way you could do that is by increasing your communication with them. You have to increase communication, which strengthens the relationship, more consistent communication, more quality communication. But the challenge is, you know, you probably would love to do that one-to-one-to-one-to-one-to-one. But you're going to have to do it at scale. And the only way you do it at scale is by using media. You're going to have to write. You're going to have to create video. You're going to have to get that as media to them. Now, here's the deal. Some people want direct mail. Some people want to see it on Facebook. Some people want an email. So if you create a video, yeah, transcribe it, make a newsletter, mail it out, email it out, put it on Facebook, whatever. You know, Use the media, the distribution method that people are most receptive to, but constant communication of how you're looking out to protect their best interests. Right. Because in the absence of communication, no, nobody ever thinks good things when they're not hearing from you, right? Dude, I'm constant. I'm constantly worried. I, I mean, I got a great property manager as a friend of mine, but I'm telling you, man, I probably would say two or three times a week, I kind of have a mini panic attack. You know, I'm worried about, did all the rent come in this month? I wasn't updated. I don't know. Is there something wrong with my properties? Is there a water leak? You know, oh my gosh, did we double check the fire extinguishers? Is something going to burn down? And you should think that all of your customers are having panic attacks every month and you need to be there to reassure them. I would expect at a minimum a weekly update from my property manager. That's probably absurd to probably what some people do with like nothing really ever. But I need, I need lots of communication to protect those assets and know what's going on. Yeah. And some of that's infrastructure, operations, technologies, some of those touch points could be. Yeah, wait, whatever it is, man. I just want to know that there's somebody accountable and they're, they're not going to run off. And just, you know, I've had three property management companies just disappear me, dude. Wow. Yeah. Just disappear. One guy used his trust account like he shouldn't have and he was getting run after, you know, <laughs> so okay. The other ones like didn't manage the money right and kind of fell by the wayside. Property management, if you're, if you're not running it because the margins are generally thin, if you're not running that really well, you can get into trouble. And I think a lot of people do, but your audience doesn't. 
It's the nature of mom and pop businesses. The bar to entry is lower and the bar to vanishing is lower. Stew on that. You've got a, a jaded investor that through no fault of his own has <laughs> is bringing some baggage to the relationship. You know, I wake up every single day thinking all my clients are going to quit. So I have to make sure it doesn't happen. Like right. I literally wake up every morning thinking all my clients are going to quit. And <laughs> if I was a property management person, I would think – okay, all of my clients are having panic attacks. Right. That's it, that's, that? <laughs> that's the productive way to channel the paranoia is into actually is. doing yeah. something about it. Yeah. You mentioned earlier the re-engagement email, which is great. I love that we're starting with something practical that is not spamming people. It's a one-time email. In your mind, is, is it worth really trying to juice and optimize that re-engagement email for maximal impact because it is a one-time shot? And if so, oh, no. any advice on that? Oh, just super personal. Like, no images, super personal. Let's just maybe give me an Keep example. Keep it real. I'll, I'll write one right now. Like, t- give me the situation. Let's let's craft the message for this person. Uh, okay, great. Uh, Chris Hermansky, Mainlander Property Management, Portland, Oregon. Been in the industry for thirty years. Just as of tomorrow, decides he wants to get into database marketing. Is it homeowners? That are looking to rent or as investors? It's ha- it's a mix, 50-50. Half accidental landlords and half intentional investors. Got it. All right. So round everybody up, I would say, uh, dear friends, clients, and colleagues, uh, I'm writing to you because we're connected on social media. We do business together or we've chatted at one point in the past. I want to let you know that uh, I'm in property management. I help uh, homeowners uh, rent their properties for profit. And I'm also I also help people that have some money to invest get much better returns in rental property than possibly going into the risky market. Um, the reason I'm writing you is I started a newsletter uh, that is for people that are looking to invest in real estate, uh, as well as anyone who's thinking about renting out their home. As I'm sure you're aware, there's probably lots of pitfalls and problems and risks. And look, I've been doing this for X number of years, and I've seen it all. And I can protect you and make sure that stuff doesn't happen. So I really want to get this information out. I want to let you know I'm starting this newsletter. I'd like to send it to you because I think you'd find it of benefit or people you know would find a benefit. But as you know, I certainly don't want to spam. You just click here to opt out. No hard feelings at all. You won't get any more communication from me. Um, but look forward to my very first video, which is going to be on the, on the topic of should I rent my house? <laughs> okay. You'll get that shortly. However, um, if you are thinking of selling your home or renting it or you need to move, call me. I can help guide you so you don't make any big financial mistakes, which I see. And also, if you're looking to invest in property, uh, maybe call me or message me. I have some properties that you won't find on the MLS. I have access to those that can get you better deals than going out to the full market. So I'm here to help. You can subscribe. This is the only email you get from me. Look forward to staying in touch, so-and-so. Love it. It sounds like you've done that before, Frank. Oh, yeah. So do you see how personal that is? Do you see how I give people like an offer at the very bottom to work with you? I address both markets. And, and there's two ways you could do the opt-out. The way that I do it, I just say, if you don't want this opt-out, I just leave them all in. You could go a little tighter with that where it's like, if you actually want this, click here to go to a form to put your email address in. It's up to you. Here are some kind of conflicting emotions I have, at least taking on the role of the consumer that I have about what you do, Frank. It's like, it's so deceptively simple. Oh, you're just emailing out a video? Easy. What's what's the challenge? Well, you know, why would I pay somebody money to, to help me do that? Oh, hang on. You don't need to. Let me give you a couple options. Let me give you a couple resources. So 
I'll get into like why you may want to hire someone to help you. But if you just want to make a quick video, uh, check out Loom, L-O-O-M. It's this cool little add-in that makes – you can add a video right into an email and send it out. And if you have a small list, you can probably just email it right through Gmail and be done with it. Not a big deal. It's free. You know? Bomb bomb, same thing. Yeah, bomb bomb, same thing. You know, there's a whole bunch of like video email services. But if you want to take it a step further, let me kind of go through what you need to do. You need to record a video. You should probably have someone interview you. So that's a professional service to make that easy. Probably should go through some editing before it's just raw sent out, right? Like make it look nice, edit it up. Then it should be uploaded to your YouTube channel that uh, has some keywords in there. Some people are searching for you online. Hopefully your stuff shows up with a good YouTube description. Then that video needs to go get embedded on your website. I recommend it goes on your blog on your website with an article. Someone should actually watch the video and write like an intelligent article summarizing what you say for search engine optimization as well as people want us to read it as opposed to having to watch it. It goes in your blog. Then that video needs to be uploaded to some other hosting site so it gets sent as a, syndicated as a podcast. You can actually download videos as a podcast and it'd be nice if someone could actually access it on iTunes. Like it. Right? Like pretty it. Cool, right? Recycling the content. Yeah. Perfect. Yes. This is what we're doing now. Now that video probably should go up on Facebook. It needs to be redownloaded, uploaded to Facebook, write the title, write the description, choose the start frame. Let's actually get the video on Facebook and then maybe, you know, uh, put a little bit of money into it, advertise it, you know, get yourself out to some homeowners, some, your database, your website traffic, you know, put a little money into it. Some people see it on, on, on Facebook. Okay. Then let's take it a step further. Obviously we need to write the email. So we need to round up your database, re-export all your email addresses, bring in the email marketing program again, because you have new ones, right? Let's write an email. Let's write a headline. Let's write some copy. Let's put some call to actions. Like take some time to write an email. Some spelling and grammar mistakes, test it, make sure it formats your browsers, send it out. Then, you know, what you could do is maybe email some of your strategic referral partners and say, Hey, can you post this video on your Facebook? <laughs> you know, to see if they can do it. You, seriously. Mm-hmm. You really yep. could right? yep. you get some more reach. Yep. And then if you really, really, really wanted to, why don't you take that video, take a screenshot and put, throw it on a postcard, send out a postcard to your list of your farm. So they also see a direct mail piece with it, with your video. Do you follow me? I'm, I'm tracking, man. And here's the deal. You're like the, you're like the brain surgeon that comes in. You walk in, you record your video in five minutes and you're out. And the rest of your staff handles all of that beautifully. And uh, that's my pitch for viral marketing right there. That's what we do. Well, I tapped out maybe uh, a third of the way through that list of all the things <laughs> that I could do that we both know yeah. I'm not going to do. And taking the opposite position now of realism, kind of the other side of that objection, is the actual functional discipline to do it. Where is your time well spent? All of us should have a clear matrix of our highest point of contribution and the effort should be expended to stay in that quadrant, in that box, as much as possible. I enjoy the podcast. I've been doing it for a while. I've gotten great results from it. But I don't manage the podcast. I don't schedule the guests. I don't send out the emails. I get help with that. And if that didn't exist, I simply wouldn't be doing it. So it's about having some realism about how much infrastructure and momentum you need to do the things that are most important. That's my pitch for what you do, Frank. It sounds simple, but at the end of the day, it just comes down to being realistic about where you spend your time. So I just want to kind of end here with some rapid fire questions. We do this with every single guest that we interview. And I just want some guttural answers from you, Frank. The first question in our rapid fire section is, 
who do you learn from? I learn across a lot of disciplines and I try to find patterns. I really learn journalism. I love studying journalism to get the story. I love studying religion to understand how to really motivate people to change. I'm just extremely observant of what motivates humans to take action, and I try to model that. As far as a few of my mentors, to probably give you some specific mentors, I would tell you Dan Kennedy has been huge. Jay Abraham has been huge. Um, Gary Keller with Carroller Williams, I got to give a shout out to. He taught me how to. He taught me how to scale a professional service business. He wrote a book called The Million Dollar Real Estate Agent. The Red Book. The Red Book, baby. It could literally be called The Million Dollar um, Professional Services Provider. But it literally talks about how to scale a professional firm. Highly recommended. Those are some names. And then uh, Vern Harnish taught me a lot about running a company with his uh, Rockefeller Habits book. So those are, those are, those are really big uh, people I learned from. Mm, let's let's just hone in on that. Back it up. The first thing you said was studying from a, a multitude of disciplines, which involves the cross application of knowledge. I love that. I just gotta I gotta put out this quote from Charlie Munger, where he says, "The first rule is that you can't really know anything if you just remember isolated facts and try to bang them back. If the facts don't hang together on a lattice work of theory, you don't have them in a usable form. You have to." have models in your head. You've got to array your experience, both vicarious and direct, on this latticework of models. You may have noticed students who just try to remember and pound back what is remembered. Well, they fail in school and in life. you got to hang on to the experience of latticework of models in your head. That's just me kind of harping on my pet point of exactly what you said. It's great to study within your vertical, within your niche, but you got to go broader than that if you really want to scale. Next question, Frank, what is the best interview you've ever conducted? I flew to the Philippines. We have a call center in the Philippines that helps with getting subscribers and reaching out to people. And I want to go out there and see firsthand about how people live in the Philippines. I've never been there. I've never been to Asia. Flew out there, flew to Manila, went two hours south, and we had like a company event. And then I asked around and said, uh, hey, let me take some of the Filipino people here that work. Uh, I want to interview them. I pulled them aside, pulled out a camera for 30 minutes, and I asked them about how they live. I asked them about how much they earn. I asked them about their life. I asked them about their backgrounds. Understanding the world from their perspective as an American over here and, and conducting those interviews at night, like at the end of like a retreat. And, and telling them, like, I'm going to ask them some incredibly uncomfortable questions. The interviews wouldn't be shared with any of their peers. I'd only share those interviews with the Americans that hire them privately. I really got to see a side of the world that I'd never saw before. And that opened my eyes. That's my answer. <laughs> so you think it'd be a business interview. It was interviewing the virtual assistants in the Philippines. Love it. Yeah, that's great, man. They say travel is fatal to, to prejudice. Awesome answer. Next question, what one book has impacted you the most? If you're a leader, you're a reader. I know you've read a lot of books, but could you could you pick one? Could you point to one? You know, I could, man. And I got to, of all the books I've read, I got to give them a shout out. It would be that Million Dollar Real Estate Agent book from Gary Keller. Wow, 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 wow. That, 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 was, that was the first one, man, because you have to remember, I was, you know, I was recruited to be in real estate. That was like kind of like the first business book I read that was – kind of very like a, a handbook versus a business book. And I, I, it's so funny, man. Like I'll go back and flip through that and I'll see a sentence that I read like, you know, 10 years ago. <laughs> I'm like, 
I'm like, man, that sentence has so much meaning. Like there was a sentence I was just going through it the other day, and it's like he said something in there, and he's like, you know, a great hire not only does the work, but they also take a lot of the mental work and thinking off your plate too. I'm like, hmm, yeah, I can see that now. <laughs> Whereas like when you're starting off, you're like, okay, you know, you see this face value. So I got to tell you, that book you wrote, man, teaches you how to scale a professional service. And I have not read any other book that is anywhere as good that teaches you how to scale a professional service. I've read scaling businesses, but a professional service, that's the best one, hands down. This, re- this replaced listing with client. And there you go. Guys, if you haven't read it, check it out. This is the book that Gary credits a lot of his success to in a latter book called The One Thing. He referenced doubling down on writing this book as kind of a key strategic focus that really ended up leading to a lot of growth in the company overall. Check it out. I'll link it in the show notes. Next question. If you could do it all over again, what advice would you have given yourself at the beginning of your career? When you start a business, you start on a very low hierarchy of needs where you need to make money, where it's really driven out of fear. You're constantly prospecting. You're always thinking of the opportunity cost of your time. It's like, man, I need to be on the phone. I need to be calling. I need to be doing sales presentations. I need to be prospecting. I need to be doing lead follow-up. And you don't really like doing it at the beginning, but you almost like psych yourself up. You almost like change the, the neurological structure in your in your body. It's like, that's just something that I do because if I don't do this, the money doesn't come in and I'm the rainmaker. I am the rainmaker. Like I'd be in a meeting with somebody and I would get resentful in that meeting because I got to be on the phone. I have to go produce. And I wish someone helped me tame that producer mindset sooner and that rainmaker mindset sooner so I could sit back and calm down and, and train people to do things as opposed to me doing it. So I wasted probably a good two to three years viral marketing because I was an incredibly ineffective leader and ineffective trainer of others because I got very resentful of having to train people and pay them because it took away from my time where I had to go make money and bring in the business. And I think that's a trap a lot of people run into. And I just had to get over it and like literally go like through therapy with myself of like, if I, what's my vision? Like, I really have to slow down. I have to do my weekly one-on-one meetings. I have to do my morning huddles. I have to do my training classes every single week. And yes, I am going to give up now money for that. And I hope to God I have money in reserves in the bank because I won't be bringing in business, but I have to get comfortable training people. And if you can get through that lull, that risk period, that stress point in scaling a business where you move from producer to leader of getting things done through others and training, that's the shift. And I find a lot of people making it difficulty getting through that because you're operating from that fear of making those sales. So I think we could all relate to that, but that was me. I wish somebody was there to say, Frank, you need to calm down, train your people and it's going to happen and set aside the time and get over this resentful feeling of you having to train people that you're also paying. Like I had this erroneous belief, like if I pay, you should just be able to do it. I mean, that, that's not correct, is it? <laughs> no, that's, hey, that's, that's really personal. Yeah, that's, that's, that's probably I mean, the it's best. It's true. I mean, if you want to know the real answer, that I, if I could go back and understand that of, of what it takes to transition from a rainmaker producer to become a leader and trainer of others, that was a very difficult change inside of me. 
You're talking about getting past the glass ceiling. I think it was uh, Paul Graham, founder of White Combinator, that said something to the effect of that anybody can muscle through to a certain level of business. Raw will can take you there, but it's a very hard glass ceiling if that's the only muscle that you've conditioned up to that point. Appreciate the, the candidness there. Last question of the day. I ask this to every single person I interview. Everybody's got a slightly different perspective. I'm interested to hear yours. Frank, are entrepreneurs born or bred? <laughs> oh, man. Um, I was bred. So my mother was a fifth grade. My mom, my dad, my dad passed when I was early. My dad was an insurance agent. My dad was a professional bass player and an insurance agent. I grew up in Omaha, Nebraska, a very middle-class family. And my mom was a fifth grade band teacher for 30 years. There is not an ounce of entrepreneurial blood anywhere in my family. I mean, my mom comes from a family of farmers. She has 11 brothers and sisters from an Iowa farm. But my parents pushed me kind of into Boy Scouts or became an Eagle Scout. And then they pushed me to kind of like just do well and do better at band. And I like play clarinet and I play guitar and they... And they always pushed me to say, Frank, it wasn't like, hey, you need to achieve to like fill some need. Like I'm not trying to prove anything to anyone, which is important. But it was just like, Frank, you can do better. You can do better. You can do better. And my parents really guided me and gave me a safe place to like try out and being a leader of others. I think Boy Scouts really helped me out with that. And this business, this entrepreneurship, I like to think of myself more as an artist than an entrepreneur. I'm really more of an artist that wants to be able to be free and do my art as a creative. So I needed, I needed to start a business or else I would just go crazy. I would say is that this business is a very natural extension of the three values that were somehow really ingrained into me when I was young and growing up. And those are an incredible need for autonomy, a very deep need to be influential, which comes from leadership. I really love influence and also creativity. And you're seeing viral marketing is just a natural extension of autonomy, creativity, and my need for influence, which is leadership. So I was made, and my parents fostered those things to where I ended up. There's no way I was born that way because I didn't come from that. <laughs> There's no DNA in my family being born. So I think by that definition, the answer is it has to be it's made. Fair enough. You make a compelling argument. I hear a little bit of both sides coming through there. It's not necessarily pretty. I mean, to me, the idea that it's born doesn't mean that you come from a long line of entrepreneurs. It just means that there's something kind of wired inside of you from when you came out the womb that just bent you towards those things. It's who I am, man. I mean, I've been very fortunate. I went to a lot of Tony Robbins events. I went to like his date with Destiny at UPW. And I really try to figure out like, why am I like this? Like, why am I like this way? Why do I have this sickness of like wanting to go and work and build this thing? And why do I want to do this? You know what I mean? And it, it really came back to, I really had to go back and giving credit to my parents. So that's it. I just have a high need to, I, I want to lead others. I want to be autonomous. I want to be creative. And I can't find those outlets in any other way than having my own marketing firm. I'm tracking with where you're coming from. I'm glad we had you on the show. And for those of you listening, I hope that you took something away from this that you can apply to your business because I certainly experienced that. It was a reminder to me of fighting the good fight, maintaining the discipline, playing the long game, betting on value, betting on aligning with the customer, creating value. Thanks for coming on the show. Frank, if folks want to find out more about what you're up to where can they go 
Well, you could uh, go download that marketing plan we talked about today. It's run the homepage of getviral.com, G-E-T-V-Y as in yellow, R-A-L.com. Love it. All right, Frank, we, uh, we'll keep eyes on your work there with Viral. Thanks again for coming on. Total blast. Thanks, Jordan. Bye-bye.